Welcome to the Pelvic Pulse Podcast, where formally off-the-table topics take center stage so you can feel comfortable, confident, and free in your body. This podcast was born out of the desire to share the intimate and necessary conversations about one of the most ignored, abused, and suppressed areas of our bodies, our pelvises. Not sure where that is? Let's put a finger on it, shall we? I'm your host, Brittany Ellers, holistic pelvic physical therapist, womb worker, and educational speaker and advocate for all things pelvic health. My hope for this show is that it enlivens listeners like you to take steps towards healing your own relationship with your pelvic space holistically for fuller embodiment and a more loving human experience. So when you're ready, let's take a deep breath and dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Sharon Dickerson. Oh my goodness. I cannot wait to dive right into everything that there is to share. So um, I want you to kind of share your background right off the bat and what it is that I guess on paper or the way you're credentialed, like what it is that you do, but we'll will then connect why it's so important to have this conversation right now where your work intersects with my work. Um, so why don't you go ahead and share that, Dr. Sharon? Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much. What yeah. a treat to be here. So grateful for you to be on here. Yeah. I was, gosh, who's your um, physical therapist friend that you had a podcast with a couple times ago? C- Carrie? Dr. Carrie, yes. Yeah. But um, I don't know that you guys got going about teeth and jaws and the connection with your work. And um, yeah. I thought, wow, you you are priming the, the discussion with that. So, <laughs> yeah, for anyone who missed that episode, um, I'll share the story again. But mm-hmm. I basically had some uh, trauma to my mouth in college. I fractured a couple of teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, we'll. we'll yeah. Yeah, we can dive more into that. I'm so curious right. what your thoughts are. Yeah. So I came into dentistry kind of through a family connection. My father uh, was a dentist in Michigan, and he was uh, a, a wonderful mentor in a, as a father and also as a dentist. And I think a lot of kind of my growing up values have bled into my profession, and I guess that's natural. But my parents were kind of, this would have been, so I grew up in the 1960s and 70s. So we're talking about the hippie movement. And my father was educated at University of Michigan. and But they decided to move the family out to the country where we had a massive garden and lots of acres to roam around. And I would say we kind of were on a little bit of an alternative life path right from the very beginning. Um which looking back, I I don't think I really understood it then, but mm. um, we didn't, you know, live in the suburbs with a lot of the other kids and you might've felt like a little bit of an outsider, but in retrospect, I feel very blessed by that childhood. Sounds pretty and, magical. Yeah, it really was. Um, But once I got, you know, into kind of becoming a young adult, deciding what I wanted to do, and I always had an interest in the sciences and, and in psychology, which 
And so I kind of had those majors in college, biology and psychology, and always had worked with my father. But once I got old enough to even think about it, he just encouraged me to consider dental school versus medical school. Mm. And just because he loved it and he loved his relationships with his patients that took place over a long period of time. Um, multi-generational families in a dental practice, a lot of blessings. But I remember going uh, kind of when I was in college and really seeing his work with fresh eyes that he got to do cool stuff. <laughs> and so he was doing procedures and working with different materials and, um, and having fun, you know, reconnecting with the patients that came in. So I did decide to go to dental school and um, graduated from University of Michigan and went into his practice. Um, wow. So we practiced together for um, a long time, kind of went through all the phases of transition and I was his associate, then he was mine. Wow. And um, then he retired and then I had to practice by myself for a number of years and uh, really had a, a blessed background. He always had a value of staying out of the real insurance-based, dental insurance-based model Wow! as much as possible because he could see how it was a, a potentially limiting factor for a lot of people's big decisions um, regarding their treatment. And he was actually called a holistic dentist in our small town, you know, way back in the 1970s. Wow. So, That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, um, and I don't even know what that meant then, but I think it's really just speaking to having uh, a mindset of people that come in are, are whole people and mm -hmm. they, they bring their emotions and their spirituality and their bodies. And they're looking for, you know, help for something or just to stay healthy and in, in that respect. Um, but he also, was very uh, cognizant as we started to learn more and more about, especially the mercury toxicity and different, different things like that. So he was a great mentor. Ultimately, I really evolved kind of in my, in my own way to be a very, uh, kind of slowed the practice down and made it more comfortable for me in terms of one patient at a time, uh, comprehensive evaluations, relationship-based care, so this was all kind of right when I was raising young kids. And to do that as a dentist, you need to go looking for it and find mentors and figure out how to make that model work mm -hmm. as a business, because it is very different. Right. And it requires some different skill sets in terms of communication and leadership and business management. And so I would say the 1990s were a big boost for me in terms of kind of gr growing myself as yeah. a professional and trying to create a practice model that was based on my values, what I wanted to do with my time and energy. And so I was, I was really, really blessed. I found some awesome places to go, go and grow and learn. And I also had a high interest in certain aspects from a clinical side. And so it was a, it was really a blessing to have my father there. He could hold down the fort while I went and trained and then I could hold down the fort while he was blending into his retirement years and taking a month or two off in the winter. And, mm. um, so I'm really thankful for those years that we had together. Yeah. And, sounds um, great foundation. 
It was absolutely. Yeah. You know, not perfect. You go into business with family. There's going to be <laughs> some complications, huh? For sure. We didn't agree on everything. Um, you know, there were a few times when I had to put on big girl pants and stand up for the future of the practice, which I has had purchased and created in a little different way, but we got through it. And, um, and that, that's just part of the, part of the blessing and the challenges, you know? Right. Right. I think the thing with family in the business is that whatever happens, hopefully you at least have that base of trust. Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, I never thought he was going to try to screw me or, you know, either way. So, and we always had each other's best interests at heart along with our own. So, right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, one of the areas that I really got interested in early on, and he had given me some advice coming out of university of Michigan dental school, you have a great background in many respects, but to really look at in a comprehensive way at how the jaw joint and the teeth work as part of a big, you know, as part of a very critical system, the chewing system, including the jaw muscles. And guess what? Your head's connected to your neck and your shoulders and oh, your pelvis. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I spent a long time, a lot of uh, years learning more about this field called dental occlusion. And that's kind of how dentists talk about Really, I guess you'd talk about the bite, mm-hmm. but the bite is naturally going to blend in with the way the joints work and the way the muscles work around the jaw joints. So you get some of the anatomy of that in dental school, but you don't really learn how to take somebody who's in a state of distress, malfunction, um, to a state of harmony and stability without seeking that out after you graduate. I, at least that's been my experience. Maybe the dental schools have evolved, but um, you have enough to learn just how to fix a tooth, how to pull a tooth, how to replace a tooth, maybe a segment of teeth, but the whole mile from the ground floor up and the way the system works is a different field. Which that's so wild to me, but it kind yeah. of, I think that was kind of my experience too in PT school, you know, like you're you're getting just the bare bones basics of everything. And yeah, just like, I mean, I think it's why it's so important to do continuing education Yeah, um, to like, just keep learning in general. I think that should just be a, you know, a thing that people who are quote unquote credentialed um, or licensed need to do. I think that should be like an every person thing, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, isn't that wild though, that you're not really exposed to the way that all the systems kind of work together until later, or you don't experience it firsthand until you're actually working with clients, like in an internship or then at your first job or the first few years of your practice. So yeah. And you you have to learn in a stepwise fashion. You know, if you try to to start with the most complex case when you first are learning, you, you wouldn't be set up for success. Yeah. You know? You'd probably so, be crushed. <laughs> you would. Absolutely. Um, so there are different schools that dentists go to, to learn about that. And there, I would say I I've trained at most of them and have gratefully landed on, um, a way that I can approach the bite restoration in my hands. That's pretty predictable and has safeguards in place for to the patient. And I'm just after I've been doing, um, it's called oral bioaesthetics. 
OBI is the name of the teaching institution. Um, Oronethic Bioesthetics International is our mm. is our school for dentists. And 20 years of doing that kind of work, you just learn so much. And I would say what's ramped up in the in the last 20 years for me is how we're not we can really go to other practitioners who know how to help balance the whole system. All, you know, chiropractors, craniosacral specialists, acupuncturists, and functional medicine doctors. How is the immune system working in general? How's the inflammation? How's how's the total health? How's the gut health? So that's part of how and why my interest bridged into this other whole parallel track of my practice, although it's not really parallel, they intersect constantly is biological dentistry. Mm. Or sometimes people Google it as holistic dentistry, which doesn't really mean anything. It's just more of a thought, more of an approach. Yes. Yes. So I'd love to hear more about the ways that, how that looks, I guess, in your practice right now, or how you're um, working with clients or patients in this way, because at least for me, it's like, I, I can't ignore the fact that someone has all these emotions or needs need they yeah. need to be able to talk through certain things before I can even look at the way that they move, let alone look at their pelvic floor and f- you know be with them and in them. It's yeah, and I mean to me, I mean because of I guess my history with um, oral trauma, like so. Just to recap a little bit and touch back on or finish the, mm-hmm. the thought yeah. on what I was Our talking about intro, earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. So I fractured uh, two of my front teeth um, in college and I ended up needing braces first, number one, Mm -hmm. or sorry, not number one. That was probably number two. I had to get temporaries, Mm -hmm. number one, um, and got braces to see if we could save one of the teeth Mm -hmm. that fractured basically like at my gum line straight Mm -hmm. across. And that ended up not working out. So I had to get a root canal and I ended up um, on one tooth and then I needed to get the other one pulled. Mm. And then I had a flipper in college for like mm. a whole year, probably. Those are brutal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My grandma taught me how to use a flipper and use the right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. She like showed me like I, I was using a gel, I think, to glue everything in and mm-hmm. you're putting this thing in every single day and then taking it out at night. And I, she showed me the powder stuff that actually ended up feeling better for, for me. Right. But yeah. And then, uh, then came the implant process mm-hmm. and the crown process, um, which just, I guess also to highlight my prosthodontist at the time, Dr. Yeah. Kevin Joe, he was amazing. And he, That's great. I can see him kind of practicing in the same way that, that you do just mm-hmm. really connected with his patients. And I felt really, um, I felt really taken care of by my dentist. And so I don't have any fears about dentistry even right now. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, But I know a lot of people do. And so I was going to just say the fact that you're going inside of someone, you know, Mm -hmm. through a different orifice, let's call it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is really um, vulnerable. It sure is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear again, just to restate the question, I guess. Um, like, what is it like to come at this with a holistic approach? 
Like what is your, what is your practice looking like? I would say, um, it, maybe it helps to think of how I got, how I really got into it was my own health. Yes. And I don't think, I don't know if we'd have time to go into my whole dental history, but there's a lot there that fed into my, my development and my interests and knowledge base and things. But I did become quite ill in my early thirties after I started having kids. And of course it's a busy time of life and running a full practice and everything, but long story short, it took a little bit of, um, seeking to find a practitioner who would help dig into, and this is in the nineties. So functional medicine, it was probably being developed and certain practitioners were, were thinking that way, but it, it was not the norm, hmm. but I found a, a practice in, um, a medical practice in Michigan that did some further testing than normal. It's, and it, it was a lot of metal, heavy metal toxicity that I was dealing with, especially mercury. Wow. So that, and that was back through the then, fillings that was like through, well, the I didn't have them in my mouth, but when you're a dentist, you are in the midst of that very volatile, toxic material all the time. Mm. And of course I'd grown up in the dental industry and we would go down to the office and my dad's office when I was a little kid and literally squirt the mercury out on the table and play with it. And it's a cool substance, but it's so bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then even if I, you know, my dad really, he, he didn't place mercury fillings after a certain point. Um, and I didn't either, but you're excavating them and drilling them out all the time. Mm. So I had to figure out how to get that taken out of my body. It's a very long process, especially back then they did. I did find they had a chelation, um, IV place that I used, but it's kind of harsh. Mm. And now we know you have to really make sure you can clear this through all your detoxification pathways. And, but luckily it took a few years, but I was able to get through that. Wow! But then I also had to learn how am I going to navigate this career in the midst of this substance? So I got into some organizations and learned how to, how to manage mercury safely as well as safely as possible. And then once you get into those realms, so like the IAOMT is an organization in dentistry that teaches dentists about that <clears throat> great organization. So there's other, there are other ones now too, but that one's probably been around the longest. And then you start to realize, okay, these dentists are thinking very differently about everything that goes into the mouth from what we do. So then you start learning about potential toxicity with people getting too much fluoride these days, um, Mm. oftentimes and learning about different metals in the mouth in general, not just mercury fillings. A lot of our old crowns have metal base to them. And that starts blending into, okay, the body's a set of energy circuits. And part of my healing journey involved acupuncture in, in Chinese medicine principles and how the meridians, you know, travel from the brain as the embryo is forming through individual teeth to become the circuits that um, really uh, support all the organ systems and a lot of the skeletal systems. So honestly, it came from my own journey. Right. And then when you start thinking this way and your patients come in and some of them are brilliant and they're on their own path, and then you just start sharing information and start making different kinds of decisions. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where you have to really decide, okay, help the patient to decide if, if uh, you know, what do you really want long-term? And let's talk through how is your health? What, what is going on? What do you need to be thinking about for your long-term health? How does this apply to your oral cavity, your oral environment? Um, you know, if, unfortunately the, the dental insurance industry hasn't caught up at all with modern techniques and for sure not modern fees. Mm-hmm. Um, my father never did sign on with any contract with dental insurance because he could see even back then that it was a, it was a limiter instead of a benefit in general, right. not that people didn't get to use it and have a little bit of, um, it's not even insurance. It doesn't insure you against any tragedy at all. It's a minimal copay for certain things that, that you have to try to justify for still to this day, maybe a, you know, a thousand dollars a month or a thousand dollars a year of dental care. That's what it was back in the 1970s. Wow. So wild. I, I, that's not, you know, that's such like long time ago thought process for me, but it's not, it, at the time it was a big thing that I had to decide. Yeah. To How just am I going to be? Differently. Right. Right. And I think, what am I going to do? <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I a hundred percent can um, empathize with you on that just because when you do come at your practice with that holistic approach, it's like, you can't it's such a it's such a waste of time also to try to validate the work that you're doing to an insurance right. company who doesn't see the value in what it is that you're doing or like maybe they see the value in what you're doing but they don't they can't make that connection themselves sure you know and sometimes even the patients or clients like they they don't know yet either right that what you're doing is like just so beyond and what they think they're coming for right and it's really hard to quantify that as well. <laughs> Yeah. And that's not the purpose of, of a dental insurance. It's to, it's an employer benefit to help the employees out with a little bit of their cost. Right. But, um, so then I, I really started learning like how to start with a new person in a different way. Yeah. So it's evolved over the years and I've kind of, I've got a system now, so to speak, that seems to be effective to help the patient and I come together on a, a shared, a shared concept of where they're heading. Right. And, and so probably at this point that with the maturity of my practice, they, they really probably wouldn't even be in my office if they hadn't already sought out something different. And that's how they find us now. Yeah. But we start out with a two hour appointment and mm-hmm. the first 40 minutes of that at least is just me, um, talking with them, hearing about what's on their mind for, for their dental health, what's going on for their total health. How are they navigating anything like that? Are they working with good providers? What is, you know, kind of what is their thought process about health? Because it's not my job to try to fit them into a mold. I just want to understand where they are. Mm -hmm. And then when we get into the dental history, it, that can be really, um, boy, really poignant. A lot of people have had a history and sometimes it's involved a lot of discomfort, a lot of traumatic things. And as you already mentioned, 
the oral environment is extreme, exquisitely sensitive. Mm-hmm. The, in the, the same nerve way, end, in yes. the same way that the vagina is or exactly. the pelvic floor. Yeah. And you have to go into the person's body. You're going, you are, you nailed it. You're entering into their body. And the interesting thing is that we're doing these literally when you, when you're hate to say it, but when you're cutting on live human tissue, it's surgery. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have all these anesthetics and that, that helps a lot, but it's a, uh, we're doing it almost all the time on conscious patients you know, a lot of other surgical procedures are done under other kinds of sedation. Right. So how do you build enough trust to allow somebody to, to come into your, you know, come into your body that way and do things with sharp instruments and so true. So I've really worked a lot at how to go through that process in a very, um, slowed it way down from, uh, a very busy, you know, dent, a lot of dentists can, can have a lot of energy. They like what they do. They can work out of multiple treatment rooms at once and have their assistants doing a lot of different parts of the procedure. That's not a, that's not necessarily bad. It just wasn't working for me. My father yeah. had a lot more of that tendency. So I slowed things way down and take my time and get permission for every next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we might, we might not even get past that first discussion on the day, on day one. We usually <laughs> do, but sometimes that's, that's enough. I feel like I'm just talking to my counterpart <laughs> here. Like yeah. really, because it's the same thing for the pelvic floor. And oh, I can only imagine. Right. Like they, you know, some people come thinking they're going to get treatment right away for pelvic mm-hmm. floor. And it's like f- through everything that they're saying, it's like, maybe you're not ready. And then we talk about that and maybe they aren't. So even that first day, yeah. whatever evaluation just isn't any kind of treatment. It's more of that, that understanding and building of trust and repertoire. That's right. Yeah. I can totally see that. And I'm like, I'm envisioning walking into your practice and, um, feeling so different than mm-hmm. like what a typical dentistry practice yeah. looks like. And that quality time spent with even just investigating just the whole picture. Right. That's so crazy valuable. And then I got this, uh, this research question that popped into my head. I wonder, Mm -hmm. I wonder if you had some electrodes hooked up to people's pelvic floors while they were in like a typical dentistry office, Mm -hmm. like while they're getting procedures done, like what is their pelvic floor doing then when it's worked on? Versus like what it would look like, what the pelvic floor is doing in a practice like yours, where there's just a lot of slowness, there's consent for everything mm-hmm. um, and just a, a deep conscious like awareness of what the body in, com- in whole like is right. doing. Right. You know? And like noticing those little signs. I'm sure you're expert yeah. at noticing now, like when a, when a patient's in the chair and like looking really uncomfortable or you know, not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And just you're, you have the ability now, it sounds like with the, the way that your practice is set up that you can take that time and they can take that time and they're not feeling rushed. Exactly. You know? And some of it is from my own history of trauma yeah. and you become very intuitive about that and not, and not everybody has that kind of trauma. So then it's kind of like they're, they might be motivated. Let's get going. 
I want to make progress on this dental care. I'm, I'm good with that too. Sometimes that's super fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. The whole environment is, um, you know, the way things are, the decor, the, the, the whole, um, vibe Mm -hmm. is comfortable for me now. It took a while to get there in my growth, but, um, that that's, uh, I think you nailed it with just every, every aspect is vetted probably through my own lens of what's comfortable for me in this, in this clinical setting and in this setting right? in general. So there was a, um, patient I had yesterday, for example, who comes from a history of extreme trauma Mm -hmm. and it's been a process just to help her feel comfortable with starting to take care of her mouth, which has become a source of additional shame. And, um, I mean, I, it just kind of breaks my heart because it's not her shame to bear. She had, she was neglected. She was abused. She, but she's desperately wanting to improve it. And so we're just getting ready for the procedure. And, you know, we offer some headphones with some binaural beats, which sometimes helps people or whatever. She had her own music but she's really working on her psychological um, wellness. And she goes, wait, if I put on my headphones, does that mean I'm disassociating? I don't <laughs> want to disassociate anymore. I want to be fully present for every, you know, wow. uh, she's trying to reconnect her neurological system to what's presently happening instead of probably her coping skill. Mm-hmm. And she said that, that I don't want to be away from my body. And I said, and so we just had a little chat about it and I reassured her those things that you did helped you survive. Right. You're beautifully working through it and it's okay to give your nervous system a calming benefit with whatever tools we have during this next step. That's not, that's not a maladaptive thing. That's a very smart thing to do. Agreed. Agreed. And so those are normal things that, that come up in the course of our days with my patients. And then there comes a point where, yes, I'm here to do dentistry. And I have a high um, integrity about my work and expect it to be excellently, expertly done, long lasting, minimally invasive. So there is a point when I'm going to put on my loops and I'm going to be focused in. And I think even in that, um, as long as, you know, I'm tuned into my patients, but then once they're comfortable, we have to get going and we can accomplish some really great things, but it's because that foundation has been laid. Right. Right. And I'm wondering um, if you can kind of like scan your patient roster right now. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you know if there are a lot of people that have experienced um, maybe other kinds of trauma, even like to the pelvic floor where maybe they've even made that connection that it's connected to their jaw or their like TMJ, temper mandibular joint? Absolutely. Um, okay. I mean, it's not the everyday patient, but it's not uncommon. Yeah. And any kind of physical abuse is probably going to have effects all around the whole body. Yeah. Lots of people do have a history of being, you know, traumatized to all different body parts. Right. right. And um, if they're brave enough to come in the office, Mm. you know, and start this process, usually it's just remarkable. We can walk through it and get them feeling more positive. And what, because once they make those first steps, I have this um, term that I've just kind of come up with in my mind. It's sort of how I feel about it. I feel like 
there's an oral self-esteem that's definitely tied to your whole self-esteem. But the yes. oral cavity is is an area that, you know, that every single tooth is so sensitive. It's attached to different organ systems. It's there's just so much there. But when the when you start to improve it, even with small things first, the person's whole that you can just start seeing their whole demeanor start to come alive and relax a little more and and be more open literally like, uh, yeah, open my mouth, but they can become more open because they're, they're, it's a really logistical thing to do to start feeling like you're making progress. You know, people improve their diets, people start exercising, people do all kinds of things, but to get, to start getting a better oral health, I've found can be huge. I mean, I'll speak from my own experience too. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in college, I don't, I don't think I, I wouldn't say that I had like poor, poor self-esteem, but I mm -hmm. definitely, I maybe didn't identify as like attractive or beautiful, mm. um, partially from other things like growing up, but then that specific trauma to my mouth falling yeah. into tile floor, you know, and being, yeah. and, ev and everyone witnessing it too. It's just like, it's a, it's a crushing thing to your self-esteem. And yeah, I mean, I had braces in college for the first time and then I just remember like looking forward to obviously getting my braces off. Mm -hmm. And once I did, I was so, I was so happy that it was just timed out with my friends and my friends all turning 21 and us being able to take a, a trip to Vegas. Oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. That was, that was for that time. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't right. go back to Vegas now by choice, but um, yeah, it was just like, such a difference in my demeanor, my self-confidence. And mm -hmm. now you're just making me think about just the energetic connections between like the mouth, your throat chakra, the confidence to be able to speak your truth and, mm -hmm. and share your, your face, like, which is so it's so society, like front facing, right? It is. Of course, it's the first thing that people look at. Mm -hmm. So how, I mean, how, I, I mean, just thinking about myself, um, yeah, like how difficult it was, I guess, to be confident during those years. Cause I wasn't smiling with my teeth. Like yeah. I would normally, I was hiding, I was hiding. Right. I really hope you're enjoying this episode and wanted to take a quick pause to share with you one of my latest offerings, the pelvic embodiment bundle. It's a bundle of knowledge that every person with a pelvis and vagina should know. From the basics of anatomy and energetics to the ranges of activities and exercises to attune to and connect to your pelvic floor, you'll be able to practice your embodiment with the help of these classes to live your life to its fullest and most present. It includes my clients and students' favorite teachings, including Yoni Eggs and Wands 101, Kegels 101, Constipation Class, and the Secure, Loving, Open Pelvic Embodiment Masterclass. You can purchase the bundle to create and deepen that connection to your body. Don't forget to use the code PELVICPULSE in all caps to receive 10% off at checkout and to begin your journey to pelvic embodiment with me. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, the appearance part is a huge one. And sometimes it's just even if the front teeth look good, the there's just been a lot of history with the back teeth. There was a mm. a grown man in, that was in this week that has had just sort of this, I call it like putting out fires, just an 
just taking, you know, sort of reactive mode of dental care. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, here's a, here's a fire to put out. Let's do that. Here's a fire to put out. Let's do that. And it's gotten into a place that is not cohesive. His mouth, it looks like the, the, the cottage that your grandparents remodeled over a century that doesn't make any sense because it yeah. was a, an add-on here. Nobody was thinking a hundred years down the road. Right. So it can be kind of a hodgepodge, different practitioners. And, and he's got things in there that he doesn't want for his health, you know, root canals and metals and different things. And where I find that sometimes this whole thing starts to come to life is once I I have, you know, certain questions that I ask and we start walking through really how they got where they are. Mm-hmm. And then when I take a minute and try to use my words to encapsulate that as much for myself as them, but when I just think, and I kind of say, well, it sounds like, or tell me if I've got this right. And I oftentimes feel that I see this flood of emotion come through for them. We have Kleenex in that room because a lot of times it's, I don't, it's one of those kind of goosebump moments because you know that I, that I say, I, I finally feel like somebody's listening. I feel like, like I'm being heard. And now I really want, now I feel ready to actually know what's possible. Yeah. And so I don't know if that helps try to describe what's different, but, yeah. uh, it's just how I, what I've come to not just, and I'm not the only one, but I've probably have my own take on it just because of my own history of trauma. And, you know, it's probably, there's a lot of women, but also a lot of men who've been through a lot 100%. and it's humbling for them to have to, they can't fix it themselves, you know? Yeah. Not with all the things maybe that they had tried before, like what you're mentioning, just trying to react, uh, having more of a reactive response, I guess, to the things that went wrong maybe. And so it's really cool to shift into a creative orientation. What are we here to create? What, what do we, what do we want when we've had some time to work together? Um, and most people want less dentistry. They don't want to have to keep having fear of every time they go in, there's another problem. Totally. Well, let's get to the source of the problem, get it corrected and restore things in a long lasting way to harmony and stability and aesthetics. I mean, that's the goal that I'm always searching for, for my own health. And most people would want that if they can do it. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess, um, in your practice or what you're noticing in the population again, like what, Mm -hmm what is like the root of some of these issues, like um, constant cavities or something mm-hmm. along those lines? I, I guess I, I, it's hard for me to imagine like what else could be going on, but I'm sure there's yeah. so many things like even like a, a, a painful bite or like TMJ right. issues, like grinding of the teeth, that kind of thing. Well, there's, there are multiple things. That's a big loaded question, but yeah, we do know that certain oral bacteria are going to be causative of dental decay and gum disease. And we also know now that we have a complex microbiome that has healthy uh, supportive bacteria and microbes and, and ones that are pathogenic to us. So a lot of times it's just helping the person get a handle on that. And they now, and now we know that people's digestive health 
obviously, but we didn't think this way before starts in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Let's so, maybe we should just cover that really quickly in case someone's <laughs> like still confused as to why we're talking about dentistry, like, yeah. Or like about the mouth and the connection here. It's like, yes, of course, the way you digest starts in the mouth. It starts with your jaw, starts with your teeth, like, and then going and all your the way. saliva. Thank and, you. Yes. And yes. when you chew these foods, they go down the, into the gut. They have to be absorbed. How's your gut health? How is your pH level? How, how's the inflammation in your body doing? And so people who have chronic inflammation in, around their whole body, it's going to show up in the mouth. Right, right. And then um, think, think about how people get rid of that waste. Like you were mentioning detoxification mm-hmm, processes right. or pathways and pooping and peeing are one of them. Yeah, <laughs> Two of them. the big ones. You're sweating, <laughs> I guess, sweating. Yeah, um, sweating. Another, but yep. Um, so I would say definitely we're on the microbiome level, then we're on materials level. Mm. So there's a big, there's a, a lot that can be affected if you have certain materials in your mouth that are toxic to you. Right. So that's another thing we have to kind of sort through for people. That's why I love having them already be, or if they're not already engaged with a good functional medicine provider that can be doing some data gathering for them on their total health and maybe help us stage the right, um, I guess, timing of treatment based on these other health factors. Sometimes people just aren't well enough to start a massive process in their mouth yet. So what can we start with? Here's how you care for your mouth. Here's the things that you can do to improve the whole situation. So you're not continually losing ground, right? You know, with your oral hygiene and your products. And, um, but then the whole bite issue is that's where I think I'm learning so much more and more about how that's tied to the, I have more patients that seem to have pelvic floor issues that when we get both going at the same time and try to balance out the bite and the TMJ, and they're also getting good um, coaching and care for their, they're basically the whole craniosacral system mm-hmm. and, and the pelvic floor. That seems like that's a a huge boost to the whole success of how they feel. It's so cool. It's so yeah. good. And I mean, just again, to paint the picture for other people too, the the energetics of how everything is connected, right? I, I love looking at that kind of connection, mm-hmm. not just from that like anatomical and, you know, everyday digestive experience for right. people, but like even just reminding um, anyone listening who's unaware, your your mouth and your pelvic floor, whether whatever gender you are, it's all starting from the same embryological place. So when you're mm-hmm. in utero, it starts all from the same stem cells. And then from an energetic standpoint, it's like, of course, the root chakra is connected to the throat chakra, to the third eye and, and everything mm-hmm. in between. And they all have their different uh, complexities and expressions. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, if something's off with one, it's likely that something is off with another mm-hmm. somewhere down the line. So exactly. And it's hard to correct just one piece yeah. of that puzzle by itself. Right. Sometimes you get lucky, but uh, the more I do this work, the more I realize that th- that's part of why I moved from Michigan to Colorado and I'm in Denver just because I just find there's a higher density of practitioners that are aligned with 
with this. They are in Michigan, but it's just more, there's just more of them here. Right. And probably it's just easier to find people right in Denver that can address these for my clients in a lot of different ways. And, and it can be remarkably helpful. Um, and then you have the energetic emotional side, because when these things start shifting and moving, there can be a huge emotional release, so to speak. And if somebody's not having good support to manage through that, um, that can, that can actually be detrimental for them. So one of the things I'm trying to ascertain in our early discussions is just where are they with their support, with their emotional health? Are they, are they on solid ground? Cause again, it's not something I, I want to take them down a path unless they're really ready as much as they can be for all the different things that might flush out. Yeah. Yeah. That's so incredible. And I feel like, yeah, that's something that's again, very, very similar to the practice that I have here for people um, mm-hmm. exploring their pelvic health. It's like, are, are we set with a good support system? That's right. Yeah. And then just also letting them know that, I mean, sometimes they don't really realize either, like mm-hmm. we were talking about before, um, that they're holding a lot there, right. whether that's in their mouth or in their pelvic floor or both. It's like, um, yeah, just letting them know that all the expressions of release are totally welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's actually healthy as long as you, you know, can keep, as long as you have good support and you're ready for it. Yeah. Uh, You know, nobody actually knows exactly what they're ready for, but you can kind (laughs) of tell if somebody's really fragile, Yeah, they might need to do some other supportive work before they endeavor this piece. Right. And I think one of the things that as we're talking about it, I'm kind of remembering my own pelvic floor journey which Mm. is its own thing. But um, part of what I do, and I'm sure you do too, is if nothing else, shine the light for people on this part of our body that for some reason gets ignored, shoved aside, um, you hide it, you don't want to talk about it or express it. It brings anxiety or fear Mm. or shame or all kinds of emotions. So back in the 1990s, when I was looking for who was going to be my OBGYN, I started researching everything in that era, and I ended up with a wonderful nurse midwife, which again in the 1990s was not kind of normal at all, hmm. but we went to a small community hospital. And this, But when I first went to her, one of my first appointments when I knew I was pregnant was, okay, here's a mirror, and I want you to see your cervix. And I remember at first I was like, oh. But then I realized, uh, why do I feel that way? Yeah, This is a miraculous part of my body. Yeah, I want to see what's happening. And so sometimes in dentistry between x-rays and photographs and a a mirror, I'm not going to just shove it in people's face if they're not wanting that, but um, it's reconnecting emotionally to this critical part of our health. And to me, that in itself is a a great day. If we just have one person there who now is like, wow, I never really understood what they were doing all these years. I never understood what was in my mouth. Now I know, and now I can make some decisions. And they might be leery at first to go there, but once they do, and we are there to just say, they 
no, this is normal. This is your normal. We, but you want to be extra healthy. So here's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Oh, everything you're saying. It's like, I, I hope, I mean, I can just see the parallel so beautifully with everything that you're sharing. And it's like, you can say what you're saying about the mouth and you can Mm -hmm. apply it down to your vulva, to your pelvic floor and everything. It's so wild, but makes so much sense. But the more you talk, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, I I hope people are understanding this picture like that we're painting. It's so, it's so incredible. And I'm thinking, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm thinking about, I've seen a couple of videos on TikTok and I haven't seen some recently, but it's like, you, you mentioned the mirror and it's like, yeah, I do the same thing in my practice. And a do lot you? of people, yeah, like a lot, I had to ask, you know, like, sure. do you want to look at it with me? Like I can show mm-hmm. you certain things. And um, I think it's like, you know, I'll say eight times out of 10 people are like, I guess, and they're ready for that. And yeah. I'm thinking about on TikTok how um, there are videos of people who have had their dental work done and they maybe were missing teeth and didn't have mm-hmm. a full complete smile. And then all of a sudden they have these, these fresh pearly whites and mm-hmm. it's, they're presented with the mirror and they see themselves for the first time. And what a reaction. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, it just like melts my heart. It's that's, you know, that's when all the culmination of the work we do is it lands. Yeah. And, um, you know, those, that that's so um, impressive to see how important that is for people and what emotions come up. Yeah. It's, um, I do, I used to try to videotape that and I don't really that much anymore because it's almost a sacred moment that oh. I feel is a little bit diminished by, okay, let's put this on TikTok. I guess that's the <laughs> yeah, reality TV um, mindset and mm. Mm. maybe we're accustomed to it, but I just don't instinctively do that very much because it's kind of personal between me and them. Oh yeah. And we know what we've gone through. We know what, what it took for them to get to that point. And then when they get to actually experience it on the other side, I mean, that's something to celebrate, but I usually don't pull out a camera. (laughs) I a hundred percent agree with that uh-huh. kind of yeah and it, I mean at least on my end too it's it's really hard to capture those you can't really capture those moments right yeah <laughs> you know and even if I'm doing more of like the external work with people it's like it's not really painting the full picture of what they're experiencing mm-hmm. on the inside it's, yeah it's really it's not only hard to depict but it's just like it's not doing it justice that's right yeah and it it's is a sacred thing Right. I wonder about um, when I think about your work and when you're doing your evaluation, you're helping somebody to get wellness in their pelvic area. Do you often find that there's a corollary with their jaw, with their teeth, with their mouth? I I ask about it mm-hmm. um, if it comes up or if I'm noticing that, but very frequently, like say not even in a, um, like pelvic PT kind of space, I'll in yoga, 
really remind yeah. people to like release their pelvic floor and release their jaws, mm-hmm. um, like let their tongue do what it wants to do, not like actively pressing it up against anything, mm-hmm. like, letting it fall back. I'm curious if you think that that that's an appropriate cue, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. I don't ask it all the time, but it's mm-hmm. definitely something I keep in mind, especially if I'm doing some craniosacral. Yeah. But what I do, um, what I do find is that with any kind of like tailbone pain, low back mm-hmm. pain, um, I'm frequently looking at the suboccipitals, which are those, you know, the mm-hmm. just for everyone listening, the muscles at the base of your skull that are really close to your neck. A lot of people hold tension in their neck, which of course, mm-hmm. if their posture is off in some certain way, like guaranteed that the the bite or the TMJ might be a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do work with that in craniosacral, just like relieving or gapping that joint essentially mm-hmm. um, on both sides. And then I haven't done the internal mouth work for craniosacral mm-hmm. in a minute, but when I got that done, that was like, I felt so good afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have pelvic floor dysfunction sometimes. Yeah on occasion or I have had it in the past Mm -hmm. but at the time it was like very healing it was very awesome yeah it was super nice Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's um pretty remarkable sometimes I I have a a wish that some of us could all be sort of sort of in a clinic together you know and and that is part of a whole package of health I think that would be so cool and Mm -hmm. I there are you know I have a few friends who have ideas for I mean maybe at this point it's just like a woman's health or woman's um clinic Mm -hmm. for holistic healers and I think including holistic dentistry or you know biological dentistry would be so cool and necessary Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know those kind of models of a comprehensive um care facility in our country are, are a little challenging just because of how practitioners are kind of siloed in, in the kind of the financial model of those, of our different types of practices can be different every which way. But I know dentists who've tried to do that and it's probably easier to do in some other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the biological dental um, cutting edge things are coming out of Switzerland and Germany and, there's um there are a lot of modalities that are available that can be really helpful that just aren't widely accepted here mm-hmm. with homeopathics and hyperbaric oxygen and electric pulse electronic pulse therapy or whatever it's called um and different IVs those you know we use oxygen ozone in my practice but to have that be standard Mm-hmm. in the IV setting and um, have it be standardized for nutritional IVs that, that help detoxify when we go through these procedures. You know, lot, some dentists in our in our country are working on it and have, you know, instigate, you know, put it into their practice as much as they can. Yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's a little tricky because not all the dental boards are on, on board, board with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, Unfortunately, when you start getting into something that's non-traditional, 
I mean, I guess the boards are there to keep patients safe and to make sure that people uphold certain standards. And I think that's necessary, Mm -hmm. but sometimes also technology and ideas are progressing faster than these boards can keep up or want to keep up because there's all different factors that are keeping the standard of care where it is, including dental insurance, including material suppliers and all kinds of you know, uh, kind of like bureaucratic things. Yeah. And um, those are the slowest moving things Yeah, to change the needle on that. It's, yep. it's painfully slow. It is. And I think it's less slow in some other parts of the world. So that's where I went in November and had my own massive dental surgery done, mm. um, in Switzerland and, um, received just state-of-the-art care clinically with all the things that had to be done, but also just to help my whole body to heal with the least amount of toxicity and to be really supported through the healing. Um, So that's kind of gives me some things to attest to, you know, the way that they operate. You know, I was in the clinic all week after the surgery, having lymphatic massage to help drain IV ozone every day. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. Wow. So it was, um, and I, I've studied and trained with that organization. Um, but I don't do a lot of oral surgery. I don't do a lot of the things that are removing teeth, placing implants. I do a lot of the, I do more of the restorative side. So I'm just kind of finding my way through this, um, phase of my career where I'm um, bringing a lot of skills to the table. Do I really, do I really want to add a lot more mix of services and skills or do I really just want to expand upon this model of total healing? And I feel, I feel like that's really what's pulling me these days. Yeah. Talk more about that. Like where, Mm -hmm. where do you see the practice kind of going for you or is there a different, um, is it a different way that you want to be expressing this type of care or yeah, just what do you yeah. think? That's saying, thank you for asking that. It's so, so much on my mind right now. Um, just having conversations like this to me really help open up the dialogue that's, a, that's available for people out there. Mm-hmm. One thing I hear over and over again, when somebody do- does think to Google biological dentistry and land in my office and we start talking about all this there's a point that's really common where they'll say you know I've been so I've been really mindful of my total health I've been on a non-traditional path for years and it finally occurred to me my mouth is the the last frontier why didn't I think of it with respect to my mouth why was that and then they're kind of frustrated they're like why didn't I know about this why why is this not more well known? And so that's part of what I feel is just, I think there's a big awakening happening with our health. And I think the pandemic actually almost had multiple effects. Some of it made people retract and be really scared and other other aspects really opened up people's eyes to what actually is health. And is it a lack of disease or a, just a fighting off of certain viruses and bacteria? Or is it actually things that aren't even new? Humans have known how to stay well for centuries. To, you know, there've landmark things like, okay, wash your hands and like different things, but like, 
being outside, eating, <laughs> eating healthy foods from nature, moving your body, you know, and that's, I think a lot of people learn during the pandemic, if I'm basically healthy, I'm going to be okay. Right. Um, probably. So that's, that's been an awakening, but I just find more and more people are becoming curious. And so part of me wants to broaden the perspective of what's actually possible in dentistry and how it relates to the whole health and dentists, some dentists really want to know and learn like, where do I go? Where do I start? And a lot of the things we talked about here have been a multi-decade journey for me, but maybe I can shortcut some of that timeline for some people and help you know, other dentists get to really what I feel is a more satisfying mode of practice. It's not, maybe not for everybody, but for, for me, it's been so much more fulfilling Yeah, to go deeper and help people on a more, to me, a more profound level um, that actually has an eye towards their future total health. And so um, that's the kind of thing I'm interested in is how to, just keep having a voice that gets out there. So I thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Because um, that's where we start, you know, and your world is everything I've learned from you has blown my mind. And we don't get this education as young people in Western society. Mm -hmm. I can, I'm just, I love, I love talking about the entrepreneurial side of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on occasion on the podcast, because I mean, for me, it's like, this is my, this is my, my love, my passion. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you have recognized this, that like your journey in owning a business and running a business is quite deeply like a spiritual Mm -hmm. practice. It's a spiritual journey in and of itself. And it's, I just, I see myself being like, you know, however many years behind you. And Mm -hmm. I feel like because you've, you've really been able to shape it in a way that feels so life-giving to you. And I Mm -hmm. feel like what you do want to do is just like mentor these other people who, like you said, we're not receiving the education. um, Right. Or at least we're not even being exposed to the option of practicing in this way. And how, I, I think about myself again, just how mm-hmm. crazy it would have been to be um, exposed to a certain type of care like this mm-hmm. right off the bat mm-hmm. and going right into it. I think actually now that I think about um, a couple of, you know, PTs that I am aware of, they just recently graduated, but thankfully because of social media, I guess they, they know like what kind of clinic they want to run and it's not what's available to them right now where they would be offered a job. They just want to like create that right away, but how cool yeah. to be able to spread that into other, other practices and yeah. Yeah. To really make this model work and have it be the majority, like make it be the widespread, be amazing accepted thing. And the other thing, the the flip side of that coin is that from the patient's perspective, because it's, there's a, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times a week I hear this, where we're starting a thought process with somebody and their, their final blow was this last root canal. And they're like, I didn't feel I had a choice. I was told I needed it. It would get rid of my pain, but now I'm starting to understand this could have health implications for me that I don't want. And why didn't I know that? Like, mm-hmm. again, where's the information? Informed and consent. That's informed consent. And 
And that's where I feel like it, it sounds like a buzzword that's that's going to be to cover your butt as a practitioner. But it's it's really that the people making these decisions need, I feel, need to have the best knowledge they can so they can make their own best decision. Right. And this typical model of my profession that I was trained under is more of like a parent to a child. And it's an yeah. adult to a child. It's like, a, I'm the one with all the knowledge. I know how to diagnosis. I'm going to tell you what you need. And then if you don't do that, you're kind of going to have a black mark on your chart because you didn't comply. I mean, this, I'm not saying every dentist is like that. I know most of them aren't, but I hear this a lot from patients coming in. Right. And I feel like maybe this is where this, this holistic approach Mm -hmm. shifts the dynamic between the patient and the practitioner where Mm -hmm. it isn't like a crazy power dynamic. Exactly. Where we're like, there's a hierarchy and we're above them. We know more than them and they don't know anything. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. Like we can, we can teach you how to care for your body teach you how to mm-hmm. move with it, how to work with it, how to heal it. And that's where we come into play and in, in more into partnership than anything. Right. Yeah. I always, in my mind, I picture walking arm in arm down a pathway with people instead of, I'm not even really leading them necessarily. We're discovering together and yeah, you're right. Whatever knowledge they didn't, they don't have to know every single thing, but they need to know enough to decide what's best for them. Right. And that's their decision, not mine to put on them. And so that's a very different mindset than what I think most, at least when I went to dental school, I was, there was one instructor in our operative clinic that taught us, well, when you're telling patients what to do, what they need, you should make sure you're sitting higher than them, literally like your head's higher than their head. And then if you're wearing your glasses, look down over the rim of your glasses so they can see the whites of your eyes. And then they'll probably be more likely to let you do it. Wow. And you're being taught power over intimidation. How to manipulate. Right. Even if you feel like this is what's best for them, and it's not, it's usually not ill-intended. Right. But it's just a dynamic of relationship that that doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. Can, that, and it doesn't work for me as a patient or a practitioner. No, that feels really sticky and icky, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's so, I, yeah, when I'm telling patients what I think they could do, yeah, <laughs> it's very much so like, here's what I, I mean, I'll create like a little list for them and I try not to overwhelm anyone, but yeah, just giving like four options. And in my head, I'm like, I'm giving them four things to do. And if they're that like type A going to do it all perfectionist mm-hmm. kind of patient or client, then okay. Like cool but Mm -hmm. I'm usually expecting someone to just do one of those things maybe even like half of those four things or trying it out once and then you know we'll see what comes of it and it's more like an encouragement but also it's like here are all these options I'm teaching you to like find your intuition also and like Mm -hmm. figure out what your body actually needs and and wants that to me sounds empowering Mm, and I hope so. <laughs> yeah, instead of disempowering. Yeah. Which is I'm the expert, I'll tell you what you need and I'm going to maybe do it to you mm. and then you can be passive and some patients are used to that and they're like you just tell me doc what do you you just do what you think I trust you. Mm. And it's a good feeling on one hand but it's a little bit of a trap because 
they, I want people to have ownership for their health. Yeah. Cause that's where I feel that's when they get their best outcome. Yep. And to abdicate responsibility over and over for your whole life is a lot of how people end up in my chair with a mess. Mm. It's like, yes, you might've had some practitioners that weren't awesome, but it's not like, you know, you were party to that also. Right. And so it's like, okay, let's think of a new way to, to be together and make these decisions. And we're all going to face, you know, if we live here long enough, you're going to be in a medical environment even if you've been extremely healthy, you're going to have an accident. You're going to, and so it's good training wheels for all of us to take responsibility, do research, learn what you need to know to make your decision. And then, then you do have to trust people, right? That, you know, you do have to place your trust in a practitioner and hopefully they're a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing the, it's like a, such a beautiful blend of the radical responsibility and I think like just compassion for wherever we're at. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then trust, like actual yeah. trust and partnership versus yes, all the other ways. <laughs> yeah. Because also as a practitioner, not everything goes exactly how you want it to, you oh, know, yeah. it is a human body. It is a, it's not a, a, a car. It's not an inanimate object. There are so many factors. And so when you have a base of trust even when they have to, we have to redirect or we have something unexpected come up or it just didn't turn out as great as I wanted it to. Let's see what I can do to make it better. Um, will you let me have a chance to try this a different way? Because I'm not happy with how it turned out. You know, that's to me, it's the trust goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Like, and, um, if I know that they trust me to do my best, then I also think that, um, I trust them that I'm okay to do my best, even if it's not perfect. Right. Right. And I, that we're going to try to get, make it as good as we can. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, dentists are known to be like perfectionists. You could sit there all day to make this one filling perfect. And then, you know, everybody's going to be burned out. You have to accept that things aren't always going to be perfect. Right. Right. That's not easy. No, no. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I can appreciate the, the attention to detail, but mm -hmm. also, yeah, like I've, I've had my fair share of patient flare ups that yep. I've, I've caused, you know, especially in my early years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even now just like learning as we go together. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really mm -hmm. special. Oh, Dr. Sharon, you are something <laughs> special. Oh, thank you, Brittany. Yeah. What a joy to be able to t talk with you and, and see where our um, paths intersect. Yeah. Um, yeah. With it's our work and our values and our decisions about how to be with our clients, our patients. Mm -hmm. um, that That's a conversation I could have all day, every day. I know we're obviously we're <laughs> going to stay in contact and we're yeah. going to keep this conversation alive and well. Um, but just for anyone listening um, that's interested in in finding you or working mm -hmm. with you or finding out more about your story um, or about, yeah, your other patient success stories, where can people look for you? Thank you. Most of what you'll find with our website, Facebook, Instagram is uh, really just under my name, Dr. Sharon Dickerson. And um yeah, we've got some of all of that on there. 
to help um, try to spread the message. So yeah, I I love meeting new people and starting down this kind of journey. Um, I, I don't know, it hasn't gotten old yet. So um, I think I'll be doing it for quite some time, God willing. Yeah, heck yes. I hope <laughs> yeah. I hope so too, because you are yeah. again just doing the most amazing work and yeah, so so thankful that you were able to share your your voice and your message here. Well, thank you for the invitation. It of means course. everything. Of course. All right, you guys, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening and putting your finger on the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I'm Brittany Ellers. The music for this podcast was created by Justek. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts by hitting the subscribe button and share it with your loved ones if you found the episode helpful. If you haven't checked out my free womb medicine meditations or phasic community, click the link in the show notes. The meditations and community boards are the perfect place to begin or broaden your connection to your pelvic health, no matter what stage in life you're in. I'd be honored to support you along your journey.